Welcome to the Mastering Dentistry series on the Newbie Dentist Podcast. This podcast will focus on providing value to dentists who are striving to learn, evolve, and master their trade. Your hosts are Dr. Ziad Hamad and Dr. Ricky Hamami. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Mastering Dentistry series with the Newbie Dentist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ricky Hamami. Today, I'm both ecstatic and honored to have a fellow Habibi on this episode. My guest today graduated from Baghdad University in Iraq, where he received his bachelor's degree and then moved to the United States to complete his dental school training at the University of Colorado. My friend then decided to pursue specialization as a periodontist, where he received his master's of science degree from Virginia Commonwealth University. He works in private practice and is part of faculty at Virginia Commonwealth University. He is a member of many dental organizations and has too many credentials to list. When he's not practicing dentistry, he is busy dancing the waltz, keeping up with his social media stardom, showing off his biceps, and spending time with his family. I am so thrilled to introduce to you my superhuman friend, Dr. Fadi K. Hassan. Thank you very much for inviting me, actually. I was uh, really honored that you uh, invited me and uh, sent me the invitation the other day. So, um, you know, when you reached out, I was like, are you willing to do this? I was like, you know, let's do it. Let's share the story and, um, you know, just kind of tell people um, at least my experience and how we got here today. So uh, I look forward to this. Super excited. I'm super excited. Uh, by the way, when, when I was doing the research about you, I got to say, you look a lot better bald because you kind of have this Jason Statham look. It looks badass and it looks like you're ready to cut through soft tissue right now. <laughs> I am ready. It's, it's, this COVID situation, like not being able to do a, a one gum graft. Oh my God, man. It's, 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 it's tough. It's, I mean, and we just got back into practice. I feel like my head is just, my brain's been kind of frozen for a while. So getting back into like, you know, using the instruments and playing with gums it's just i think it's going to take another couple of weeks until we get into that routine again one more time i know i know we're all itching we're all itching i know <laughs> so a bit about how uh, fadi and i connected uh, i first met fadi through instagram uh by the way you guys all need to follow him because he posts such great educational content work and he has amazing photography as well uh the handle is fadi.k.hassan correct it's fkh.implant.perio. Or, I mean, once you type Fadi K. Hassan, it will immediately show up as well. Perfect. I'll add that to the show notes as well for the listeners. Um, so you're, you're a fellow Iraqi and renowned periodontist. So uh, when I first talked to you, I just kind of first asked you about the implant pathways. And, and you helped me in a lot in my decision-making process and, and planning a pathway for myself. So I really appreciate that. My pleasure. Uh, so let's go, uh, let's talk about a little bit of your background story, why you chose dentistry, how you ended up in Perio. Um, and we'll get you just to skim the surface because I'd like to share more detail about your background story a little later. Um, and uh, I assure you guys, it's something that you have to stay in tune for because it's, it's the most inspirational story I've ever heard. So truly remarkable but uh we'll start with the uh we'll start with skimming it off first all right so um you know for for me dental school was never in my agenda you know being a middle eastern and you know from iraq our parents always kind of push us medicine 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 so we had no medical doctors in the family we had no dentists in the family so i was ho hopefully be going to be the shining star of becoming a doctor in our you know first one in the family um and my gpa back home was 0.1 from getting me into med school. So when my dad came to me, he's like, 
Congratulations going to dental school. I looked at him and was like, I'm really unhappy. And I thought I was going to hate dental school. But it's, it was amazing that um, maybe in the first couple of months, once we got into that dental anatomy course and we started carving teeth, you know, with wax, I was like, I, I, you know, this is so much fun, you know, and I, I enjoyed it a lot. And by the end of my first year, the faculty actually came to me as like, would you want to be like a kind of, um, kind of like an instructor for the next year's, you know, first year dental students? Um, and for me, I was like, yes, that sounds amazing. You know, thank you so much for considering me. It's like, yeah, we love your hand skills. I need to kind of teach the next year's dental students. So, um, and that kind of carried on all the way through the remaining four or five years of dental school back in your eye. Um, like every year you would, I would see fresh new, you know, fresh new dental students. I was like, yeah, we, our doctors told us to come to you. So can you just show us? So I would sit down with, you know, with freshmen, I would say, and just kind of do that. So it was, that's how I got, you know, it just got more and more fun for me. Um, and then that's when I graduated 2007 and I started 2002, finished 2007. And about a year later is when I immigrated to the States, um, and then, um, you know, for, for, for us to practice in the States, you know, either do a, a GPR, which is a general practice residency, um, or, or any kind of specialty, or you go back into dental school again. And for me, because this was a time of war in Iraq, so, you know, we lost a lot of our faculty members because of the sectarian violence that we had, whether you're Sunni, Shia, you know, Christian, Muslim. Yeah. Um, so we, by the time I got into my senior year dental school home, um, our dental experience, honestly, and treating patients was not ideal, not the best. We had a lot of requirements that we were supposed to be doing, and we just kind of skimmed it through, honestly, all the way through graduation because of the, you know, the, the situation at that time. So for me, I thought, you know, going, coming to the States, I really wanted to be back into dental school because I felt like there was so much of my education that I did not fully, you know, fulfill. So... Um, you know, I got lucky. I studied for my part one dental board and TOEFL exam. And the first school I applied to was the University of Colorado um, in Denver. And I got an interview within about two to three weeks and, you know, set up a time and a date for your interview and with a bench exam. And, uh, you know, I got in. So it was the first school I applied to, first school I got in. So I was you know, really lucky within my first year being in the United States. Uh, so kind of one of the youngest, you know, foreign trained dentists getting into a dental school program, um, you know, and, and I'm here with folks who have five, 10, maybe even 15 years of experience. And one of my classmates was actually one of my faculty back home. He was 10 years older than me. He was one of my pros faculty. And, you know, I was actually one of his patients back home even. So being in the same class and talking to him, and I'm talking to, hey, Dr. Ali, Dr. Ali says, if you call me Dr. Ali one more time, I'm going to shove my foot up you know where. <laughs> it's like, you know, like I'm your classmate. I yeah. want you to treat me as a classmate because from now on we are equal. And that's um, awesome. so that's, you know, it was, it was a, you know, it was, he was so humble about it. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, as we went into dental school, um, I think one of my weakest subjects was actually perio. Um, I just could not understand what perio is, no matter how hard I studied. It was just not going through my brain. So, Pigeon Javalis. Luckily, we had <laughs> exactly Pigeon Javalis and you know Tijan Tacola. I was like, you know, shoot me, I don't want to hear those guys' names. Um, so, luckily, we had one of our faculty, um, and uh, he started kind of a non-credited, you know, after-hours uh, class where you know he kind of sent out a mass invitation for the dental students. 
um, and and basically said, like, if you guys are interested, you know, let's let's do this just so you guys get more familiar with Peer Hover is interested in it. So I signed up for it, and we did it. We started actually in in, in the summer of my first year of of, of dental school in Colorado. Um, in this case, it would be like first year for the international dental students. Yeah. Um, which is equivalent to like the third year of you know for of of the dds class um so i started that um and you know giving us classic literature some you know position papers from the american academy perio we had some para residents join us as well showing their cases and even you know some uh local practitioners in the denver um, colorado area as well um and they started showing their cases and I'm looking at them and it's like, wow, this is just more than scaling and root planing. This is periosurgery and I'm seeing ridge splits and sinus lifts and full arch cases and um, immediate implants. And I was like, this is incredible. I mean, I, I would like to see myself actually doing this in the future. Um, luckily about Colorado as a school is that dental students are actually allowed to do um, perisurgery during their training. So uh, we, even though we had a Paris, we, even though we had a Paris specialty program, uh, but they did give us that opportunity. So if you want to do your own crown lengthenings, if you want to do your own osseous resective surgeries, for example, mm -hmm. they would give you that opportunity. And, um, you know, so we had part time faculty come in and I got into doing pretty much most of my crown lengthening procedures and my osteosurgery procedures, so I would see their follow-ups. At the same time, I'll also be able to restore those cases once everything has been, you know, kind of stabilized and rehabilitated. Um, and so I did a couple externships um, in my, and you know, during that dental school, um, I did about two externships. One was at University of Maryland, um, and did that for two weeks, and also, and um, and that was a phenomenal experience because I got really great one-to-one -one with the residents and see what they even do more as residents, mm -hmm. um, like surgical capabilities. Um, and then I kind of went back to Colorado and applied to, um, you know, perio programs. And, um, you know, I applied to actually about maybe three or four at that time. Um, and one of them was UPenn, Maryland, VCU. And, and I applied to like literally 10 GPR programs because my goal was if I don't get into perio, then I'll do at least one year of GPR just to improve my um, CV and resume, and then I'll reapply again the following year. It was always um, perio. So it's always been perio. I mean, mm -hmm. I, that's that was set in stone for me at that point in time. Um, and uh, you know, I, I luckily I got into Maryland VCU because you know at that point we, we you would hear back from those program directors really early. Um, uh, which is around, you know, I think the first week of September, um, Labor Day, if I'm not mistaken. And um, and at that point, I was like, should I go to Maryland, VCU? Well, Maryland was like 40000 a year tuition. VCU was tuition free. I was like, I'm going to Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> so um, that's how I ended up being in Richmond, Virginia for three years. So I started in 2012 um, and finished in 2015. And also, it was a, it was a phenomenal experience. Um, the re and the reason that is because... I was lucky, honestly, to be with two great co-residents um, that we were able to really help bounce ideas off each other, sit down, even after after everyone goes away, we just kind of draw, like, you know, plan for our next surgery, our next surgery the next day or the week after, how we approach this case. And it was that kind of camaraderie that we had between the three of us and that kept help pushing us you know like well let's what, what can we do next and what can we do next what can we learn more 
um, and we would reach out to the oral surgery faculty, you know, and at that time there was always kind of this competition between perio and oral surgery and in most dental schools you'll see that. Uh, but some of the faculty there were really understanding and we had some really challenging cases that, you know, we thought that they might be the best people to help us approach them. Yeah. And they were really kind and generous enough to come in and sit down with us after hours and kind of, you know, lay, kind of show us how we would, they would approach it from a surgical standpoint. Um, so that was my experience at VCU. And it, it was definitely something I wouldn't trade, you know. Um, and at one point in time during my residency, one of my faculty, which is a full-time faculty, and he says, I have some root resorption. I need a osseous resective surgery. I want you to do it for me. Wow. And I'm a second year, and I'm a second year resident. Like there are three third year <laughs> residents that have a full year of experience ahead of me. He's like, I've seen your work. I want you to do it for me. I was like, well, that means the world to me. Thank That's you. So I ended up doing two surgeries for him. You know, wow. one on each side of my mouth, and and he says, Yeah, I trust you, and I want you to do that for me. So for me, that was just. I was overwhelmed, you know, by the level of trust that my faculty had in me at that time. Um, so, you know, that's just one of those experiences um, that you can never forget um, as, a, as a resident. Um, and again, so I finished in 2015 uh, from Perio and, uh, you know, moved back to D.C. because my wife is in D.C. and she's been practicing in D.C. as well um, as an attorney for the, la for the, pr for the last five years. Um, so yeah, I was kind of geographically limited in a way, yeah. uh, for me, if I had the option, I would go, maybe go back to Colorado. Cause I love that, love that state so much. Um, so I anyway, being in DC and, um, you know, definitely going through the first job was always the most challenging of them all because you might hit it or you might miss it. I, I was not on the same page with my, with my first employer. We kind of two different thinking process. So. I think it was very challenging for me, um, you know, and you definitely learn from your mistakes, you know, what you should be saying, what you should not be saying, uh, <laughs> you know, you think, you think you know it all when you finish residency and you still don't know zilch, <laughs> uh, compared to a guy who has like 20 plus years of experience, so it was really humbling for me, like, it's like and I, I learned a lot, you know, I was like, what's, you know, being more diplomatic, I would say in a way. Uh, That's the most important so, thing. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah. So then, kind of going to another, another found another employer, um, and and been with them since then. Honestly, yeah. Awesome. So do do you juggle between practices, or is it you're like situated in one mostly? No. So right now, I do. Uh, I practice in two different periodontal practices. One is in D.C. One is in Virginia. I joined the D.C. Perio practice um, last August. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also a mobile periodontist, so I do that on my Fridays and Saturdays. Um, and at one point in time, in addition to the perio practices I used to go to, um, I was going to at least 10 other, you know, general practitioner offices, you know, I'm giving them my periodontal services. So, you know, by the end of next year and I'm doing my taxes, I'm looking like, God, how many 1099s <laughs> I have to file at this point in time. Um, and it was just, got, it got overwhelming, yeah. um, and a lot exhausting, honestly. I mean, and follow-up care gets a little bit more challenging when you have, you're spread out to so many offices because you maybe might go to them once a month. I agree. Yeah. And, uh, for me, I would, uh, yeah, and for me, like I like to see my patients. If there's a problem, I want to make sure that I, I see them, I take care of them. So there's a lot of delegation that you have to go do it over the phone or through the through the dentist themselves, like you know, and kind of see what really is the matter, what's going on, and how we can manage um, a complication if it arises at that time. Yeah. And and one thing that I know from before from your uh, live with Dr. Dean 
is you actually spent quite a bit of time away from your wife and, and your kid as well. Exactly. Uh, why didn't you just become a dentist and uh, kind of stay with them uh, as compared to moving away and, and uh, doing the specialty? Is it just, just the passion that you had for it, I guess? Yeah, so... Um, what was your thought process? <laughs> yeah, so it's not like me and my wife, like we started different continents. I was in Iraq, she was in the U.S., and then we got into the same country but different states. So when I came to the states, I she was in D.C. studying law. I was in Tennessee um, studying for my boards, part one, part two, dental boards. And then we became Colorado, and then D.C. And then by the time I finished dental school, we had we got married in dental school at that time. So like uh, in my uh, senior year of dental school, um, and you know, for me, like I. And we didn't have I, we didn't have a kid yet at that point in time, so um, you know we're just kind of still married couple, but you know long distance since the day we met until we got married we were still long distance. So it's a, uh, that's Iraqi, um, it's the Iraqi way. It's the Iraqi way exactly. So um, <laughs> and I make fun of it because you know we actually started living technically together, literally maybe after I finished my para residency in 2015. And mind you. We, we've been married since 2010 and we got engaged in 2007. So from uh, 2007 till 2015, eight years later, we have been strictly long distance, you know, from different, from different continents to, uh, you know, different countries to the same country, different states. At one point in time, she was in Virginia. I was still doing my residency in Virginia, but I was in <laughs> Richmond, 110 miles away. And I would go uh, see her on weekends only. Um, so we drive, you know, on Friday night, come back on Sunday night and drive and go on. So that's how um, I, I used to do at that time. Um, and, you know, for me, my son was born a month before I started my residency. Um, wow. So, um, you know, for so those three years were definitely challenging, I would say, because, you know, I, I don't he never knew me who I was for the first 18 months. Um, I would go there. He, you know, every time he sees me he would cry um by the second day he would slightly warm up in the morning and that was sunday morning pretty much for me um and then by sunday evening i would have to go back so he would kind of warm up for a few hours and that was it yeah um and when i was there on the weekends in residency um you know month you know our we had to do a lot of a lot of literature studies and when i say a lot i would say like each each resident had about 40 to 50 articles you know, classic old literature that we had to literally knit and pick over the weekend because we had to be ready by Monday afternoon. Mm -hmm. So I would spend my entire Saturday, even Sunday morning, just studying, studying, studying all the time. Um, so I had very minimal time, you know, with the family, you know, during the first three years. Um, and, uh, you know, it wasn't until like I finished residency and then I you know, went back, finally, you know, moving back to Northern Virginia and D.C., um, you know, my son's like, okay, I know you're my dad, but why are you coming? Why why are you staying longer than normal? Usually within two days. Usually within two days, you're 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 gone. You know, so that and uh, I think he felt threatened at one point. Out, like I'm here more than normal, and like you know, like this is my mom, and you know she's mine. Yeah. And who are you to claim her? You know, so I was like, yeah, dude, I'm I'm the dad. So you're <laughs> this is my time now with, 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 with your mom. Pretty much, it was like that. It was a good battle the first years. few months. Uh, yeah, it was like it was a constant battle. So I was like, now it's my turn, you know, dude. So it was, it was fun you know, awesome. getting into that, accustomed to it. Yeah, no, that that just shows your your persistence. That's amazing. 
Um, so I've always kind of wondered what it's like to be a specialist because it's, I think it's an entirely different ball game than being a general dentist. What's like a typical day or week of a periodontist? Um, great question. You know, being a specialist, I would say it's, I think just, it's, a, it's more of a passion, um, in, into that, into that field, if anything else, you know, and I know we were just talking earlier before we started, like, you know, if you had an option, what would you go to? And you said either perio or ortho, and they're two very different specialties. Um, I think, you know, it, you wind up down to which specialty you want to go to based on what you feel more comfortable with and where do you see yourself in the future? For me, perio is that go to because, you know, I did general dentistry and, you know, and I just couldn't see myself or, in, you know, for the next 20, 30 years, am I going to always be doing, you know, a class twos and class threes and crowns and bridges and maybe a few surgeries here and there or a few root canals here and there, you know, so like having that mixed of a day. And I just couldn't see myself do that, honestly. And uh, even my program director at Colorado, I mean, she was really upset. She thought I would apply for PROS forever reason because she's like you yeah you know your crown preps are incredible you we we love them how methodical you are and you should definitely go in pros so when i told him going to perio she looked at me like are you crazy i was like <laughs> yeah actually, that's what i really love um so being as a specialist i mean i feel like you know at the end of the day we're all colleagues and um you know some specialists they feel like they're more kind of superior because they did three years of extra education and yes we do three years of extra education because that's what we really are into. So get to the negative details, um, you know, off the specialty. Do we know more? I do believe so. We know more in our specialty field. That's why we went into it. But our key thing is that we also want to yeah. um, educate our referrals. You know, this is why we're doing this. It's for reasons for A, B, C, and D. We believe that this is the best reason because this is what the literature supports, you know. so. Any decision that we make as specialists, it's always backed up by literature. A lot of the times can also be backed up by clinical experience, um, especially if you've done something a hundred times and it's been very successful. There might be not a literature to support a hundred percent, but if you feel that it's working really well in your hands, then that might be the way to go for you. It does not mean that is the way to go for other folks out there or other Agreed. specialists out there. Um, and at the end of the day, what is your main goal as a specialist or as a general dentist? You want patients to be happy. You want a stable dentition in their mouth that they're really comfortable with and they're really proud of. And when you and your referring dentist can provide that quality of treatment for them, it's everything. And you, then you have the word of the mouth spreading. Um, and most of your, at one point in time in your career, a lot of your patients also come in because it's a word of the mouth, like from their brother, husband, sister, yeah. cousin, um, and not not just from your main referrals. Uh, so, I mean, on our day-to-day -day basis, I work in a truly periodontal practice, meaning I do a lot of osseous surgeries, GTR, crown lengthenings. Um, myself, my associate who works with me as well, he's very implant heavy, like his referrals and a lot of the implant cases I send, they, I get to see all the perio cases. I do a lot of soft tissue grafting um, and I really enjoy it. I, and I keep telling this to everyone, if there's one thing I can do all day long is soft tissue surgeries. You know, for me, it's 
the results are predictable in a way that I um, less headache, less, less post-operative complications you have to worry about. If there's one area that didn't take really well, you can easily touch it up with another, you know, pull it, you know, a coronary advanced flap or another gum graft to it. Versus, let's say you have an implant complication or implant failure, their complications tend to be a little bit bigger than than it would be to, for us a gum graft. Meaning, um, you'll see a bigger defect that you have to deal with now, which requires more invasive. Exactly, which requires then another surgery, bone graft, membrane, another four months, five months, or six months of healing, uh, and then you have to mm -hmm. pray if the bone is going to you know take this time or the implant will take for a second time. What are other you know, cofactors that cause this implant to fail? Did we overheat the bone, for example? Did we, um, uh, was it an implant, was it a patient-related matter itself, for example, that, um, you know, smoker, diabetic, is there something that we miss, any specific medications that they're taking? So um, I feel like that, you know, there are offices out there which are incredible periodontists, but you'll see very heavy bone grafting implant you know directed and you'll see other practices which are very soft tissue directed and just because that's how they built their practice in that way and you'll see other ones are very true periodontal surgeries your basic osseous resective crown lengthening procedures all day every day um yeah. for me again i did a lot of soft tissue grafting if, um it's mostly that and then are your basic parasurgeries um implants wise I say I don't do as much as I would love to do, um, but again, that's just that's just how my referrals are set up. Um, so again, and most of my referrals they do their own implants, for example. So which is okay. Yeah. That's it's normal. You get used to it. Yeah, of course. That, that's the way I guess dentistry is changing. There's a lot more GPs doing uh, doing implants, and that's kind of leads into my next question. Uh, we kind of that's how I first messaged you is, is kind of talk about implant pathways for general dentists. And I think we talked about the maxi course, right? If I'm not mistaken, yeah. and, I, and honestly, it's an incredible course. And I have a lot of my friends who took the maxi course. Um, and it's a year long program, you know. Um, and they start you, know, I think it's like three days a, a month on a weekend. I think it's like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. It is. But they start with the basics, you know, from bone biology and kind of growing into what is, how the healing process is, how implant placement is, to vertical sinus lifts, indirect sinus lifts, and so on. So they do build you in a really nice systematic way to feel more com competent in a way to um, really do those procedures in a, a predictable manner. No, there's mm -hmm. none of those weekends that you can take in Mexico and other places in Colombia. Um, those are weekend courses. You place 40, 50 implants and then you leave. You don't see follow-ups. Yeah. You don't see how the healing is. You don't know how many implant, they, you know, how many success or failures you do have. So, um, I mean, you're pretty much just drilling in a, in, a, in, a, in a bone. That's what it is. There's no good scientific rationale or there's no good explanation why you're doing this. What are all the factors you have to look at? I just, I don't feel like that's enough education for anyone um, to pursue and do add this to their practice, you know? Because if there's something that comes up and does happen and everyone, we all get complications, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. I've had my share of complications over the last five years doing in private practice. 
but you really need to know how to manage those complications. If I'm doing something, I need to know how to deal with it. Um, so if I get a pulp exposure, I need to know how to know how to do a root canal, for example. Um, if I'm doing an implant failure, I need to know how to clean it out, how to regraft it again, and so on and so on. So um, that's the thing that I really believe that it's missing in those big programs, in those weekend programs. Um, I believe the maxi course is much better because it, it's a it's an it's a breadth of knowledge that they provide for you in a really good way, honestly. So that's just my opinion about it. That's awesome advice. I completely agree as well. Um, that's that's my philosophy when I'm looking at courses uh, to take because I've taken a few of the weekend ones and it's awesome. Uh, you get to see like results instantaneously and uh, but I think with those longer courses you you really get to actually view the complications. And I think that's what sets you apart from, from other clinicians. Um, and that's what sets you apart for patients as well, is how you deal with the complications if they do arise. Uh, so yeah, that's very true. Um, with regards to, I guess there is a lot of courses for implants, but with regard to soft tissue, what you were mentioning with, with grafting and whatnot, I think it's, uh, I, I think general dentists don't do it as much. You have likes of Dr. David Atia, he's a, he's a machine. He does, uh, he does everything. He does everything really well. <laughs> he does beautiful work. I do have to say, I mean, it's incredible. And, and David, he, he, he actually did a master's of implantology. I, um, you know, in, in Germany, if I'm not, is that, he did, yeah. University. Yeah. Um, and, um, I mean, and that, 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 that program is, I mean, it's very heavy on implant therapy and as well. But it's also good about that program is that it teaches them a lot about soft tissue management around implants. You know, um, one thing is that if you look at implant dentistry in particular, who those who are interested in taking impl implant training, um, <clears throat> is that they all they talk about is bone. You have bone, you can place an implant. With now, if you look at today's literature and all about zero bone loss concepts and by Thomas Linkovich and all that, it's a lot of it has to do with soft tissue. Tissue, yeah. And what is the minimum requirement that you need for a soft tissue thickness in order to preserve your bone to prevent any future bone loss? So what are the materials of choice you're using for your final restorations? So these are all things that, you know, it's now there's more light that's being shed on it. And it's uh, it's giving us a really great, kind of like an encyclopedia or like a book or a reference book for us to go back to. Um, and kind of think, okay, that makes more sense from a biological perspective, how, how these things work in our mouth. And, you know, and then the, add the mechanical, which is the prosthetic aspect to it as well. So, um, <clears throat> It's amazing now, but you see, especially on Instagram, which is, I think it's a great tool to see what's out there and what mm -hmm. people are doing to achieve those results. But you'll see a lot of the periodontists, how much emphasis they put on soft tissue grafting, uh, natural teeth and implants, because we know for a fact that it's, if you have a strong you know, physical barrier, which is your, your which is your gum graft, that's gonna it's gonna it's gonna protect pretty much the underlying foundation which is your bone from getting contaminated with bacteria and so on so uh, and that's a thinking process like you have your own biologic with for your implants and you need to preserve that and maintain it not place your implant mucosa which is not the strongest physical barrier it's just it's it's elastic tissue food and bacteria gets in and now you're gonna have a sleuth of complications that you have to deal with mm-hmm I agree you obviously have a wealth of knowledge. Do you have anything maybe in the works to, uh, with regards to education? 
So education-wise, there's actually very soon, hopefully, maybe by the end of this year, me and um, the girls, me and Dimitri, um, would be doing specifically soft tissue grafting courses. Um, and it's going to be very hands-on, limited seats, one-on-one with, you know, with um, wow. whether for, for connective tissue grafts, free gingival grafts, um, different techniques from tunnel to vista to open flaps. Um, and maybe another day for like provisionalizations and immediate implants and soft and soft tissue emergence for those interior cases. Um, so that's kind of the works that we've been talking about a lot recently. Um, and maybe by the end of the year, we'll be doing something more of the Northeast, um, I would say. So um, within the States, of course. Yeah. Um, so again, we're kind of still looking at the logistics of that. Uh, but that's that's one of our goals that we really want to do because we both have so much passion for soft tissue grafting. Um, and it's interesting, he does it in a very different way than I do it. Um, so we're kind of combining those two together. Um, and we I've done two live IG sessions with him. The first one was three hours long. The second one was two hours long. So we just got exhausted. It's like, that's, that's a lot of talking on, on, you know, having your phone hold, holding your phone and doing a live IG session. Yeah. Um, but it was fun and we had a great, conversation you know a lot of great questions that we had to us so we, we kind of started talking more about like maybe we should do like a soft tissue course you know for between the two of us so that's in the works i think uh, for us to go into that's great news uh the viewers will, will be pretty excited for that i think uh a lot we'll of people keep you posted for, that. for sure we'll definitely keep you posted because it's gonna be really yeah. fun really worth it yes that's awesome um so i guess imagine yourself five to ten years from now what's what's your goal I guess what's uh, what's in the future. So my goal is like I'd love to be a business owner. Um, I'm, uh, you know, hopefully in the next maybe year or two I'll be partnering, um, you know, in, in at least in DC with my with my current employer. Uh, it's a great practice, and um, I would love to see myself, you know, being a, a partner with him in the next five five uh, within the next five years at least. Um, Another thing I have a lot of passion is education, and mm -hmm. I do love. And I go back, I go teach um, at, at my residency where I, at BCU where I did my residency. So I drive down there once a month, um, and I'm, I'm with the dental students in the morning and the residents in the afternoon. Um, That's incredible. Love to be, I love to be all day with the residents if possible. Um, but again, that's just how they have everything set up over there. Um, so I think education and like I you know, seeing I like to see myself being on the podium, you know, someday like in front of a big crowd and just kind of, you know, teaching them what I love to do, but whether it's soft tissue grafting or immediate implants and something something in that relationship, you know. So um, I that's where that. I love to see myself. Yeah, I mean, I just I uh, I like to see myself, you know, getting up there. It's going to take time, of course. Um, you know, I think it's, if, it, if I do end up being on that podium, most I think most likely it's going to be definitely soft tissue related yeah. because um, I'd like to be the next Giovanni Zucchelli. That's my <laughs> That's dream and goal to be the next soft tissue guru, you know, um, or the next, you know, Inaki Gambarino, which is another master. It was a perioprost in Spain. I mean, there are just big names out there. And, you know, I strive hopefully to be to reach them one day in my lifetime. And, yeah. um, you know, just kind of get on that level. So it, it takes a lot of training, it takes a lot of dedication. Um, a lot of, even as a specialist myself, every year I always commit 
on taking a course at least with some big you know guru uh, in the world out there so two years ago i went to Stevan urban's course in budapest last year i went to frank frank zestro for you know using 40 plates um this year actually in may i was supposed to be at zucchelli's uh zucchelli's course in italy um so that mm. got postponed um so we'll you know hopefully next year with marcus uzor and otto zur so again it's just you know every year if if you really want to grow pro you know from a professional perspective and clinician you can't stop after residency and no. i do see that a lot of people once they finish residency they think they know it all and they just stop there and there's no more further education you won't grow and you're stuck in the same mentality same idea you're doing exactly the same technique i know if it even if it works really well for you it does not mean that you're stopping there you need to continue you need, you need to a challenge all the time exactly you need to challenge yourself and because it makes it more it makes your specialty more interesting because there's so much out there and you don't want to miss you don't be the last person on that train uh, if you're ever going to be on that train you know so that's just one uh, strong advice i give to anyone who's really in, into really kind of getting there and um you know just uh, improving their clinical status never stop learning you know i know it's going to cost but choose the right um courses to take for yourself and make sure there's good return of investment for them mm -hmm. because at the end of the day i'm not going to take a course on something which i'm never going to do exactly. for example i'm interested in zygomatic implants am i ever going to do one absolutely not i don't think it's in with i don't think it's within my field i don't want to learn it it's interesting i think that should be left for oral surgeons because if, if something happens and if the shit hits the fan i'm sorry for saying that i don't know how to treat that yeah. that's going to be with someone else the last thing i want is blinding someone or causing some major infection that i am not able to treat so leave it to leave it to the pros you know they can do it better than i can so just you know that's just thing something to think about yeah no that was that's that's funny that you bring it up actually because uh i reached out to a local um uh, he's a general dentist but he's big he's a huge all on four guy in in melbourne and in australia mm -hmm. i don't know if you've heard of him dr alex Vipshinko. Uh, yes, I have. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was, I was still in, we're still in my last year and I just messaged him saying, uh, can I come in shadow? And he actually, he let me come to his four day residency for free, which was, that was very nice of him, me and a friend. And we were watching them place zygomatic implants. And I was like, well, this is, this is absolutely it's crazy. It's, it's insane. It, it is it's insane. insane. It's crazy. And, and it's a service. I mean, um, I spoke with an oral surgeon once. Like, how, I mean, what's your thought process about zygomatic implants and pterygoid implants? He told me it's high risk with high rewards. Yeah. So you need to be prepared for it. And yeah. very well said when he said like that, because it's true. It's a very risky procedure, but you need to be very well prepared going into that. And you need to really understand how to manage complications. And don't get me wrong, there are weekend courses. There's a week-long courses where you actually get to place two or three or four zygomatic implants. I don't think that's enough for anyone to learn zygomatic implants. I think you should have a lot more sur oral maxillofacial surgical training, in my opinion, yeah. so you can get to that level. Again, it's all about complication management. Don't have... Uh, if you can't treat a complication uh, on something, then please don't do it. I mean, what's exactly. the reward? You know, most likely you're going to refer to someone else. That patient's never going to come back. You're going to get a bad review. 
and so on and so on and so on, maybe a lawsuit even. I mean, try holding that in the court of law if you're a GP doing a zygoma and you blind someone's eye. Exactly. Yeah. How are you and, going to do that? And uh, the other thing is, uh, like, you have to weigh out the not only the risk and the stress. That's I think that's the biggest thing. Is, is it worth really the stress that you're going to put yourself through? And, and obviously, you're dealing with a patient, so that's another big thing. Another but, um, factor, exactly. Yeah. It was, it was a great experience. Ophir Fromovich was actually there as well. So that was cool was meeting it? him. Uh, Ophir. Ophir Fromovich? I don't know uh, him. I think, I think he was the founder of BLX and Nobel Biocare. Oh, he's the guy. So he's the, he's the guy with the design. Yes, he's the guy yeah, who designed yeah. the Nobel he's Active. The and, design, then, yeah. and, then, and, then, and then moved to uh, Strawman to design yeah. the BLX. Exactly. I met uh, David there as well and, and Misag Habibi. So it was pretty cool. It was a great experience uh, being around. Yeah, I think they're awesome. Misag is, is a whole level. He's, he's that guy's such been a great guy. For a long time. He's incredible. Yeah. And uh, that kind of hits back at your point of um, kind of just going, you kind of have to see what's out there because uh, you just meet new people, you get inspired, and obviously you're just adding to the skill set and that in turn. Uh, obviously improves the well-being of your patients and that's the ultimate goal as as for what we do yeah, essentially exactly. yeah yeah so tell me a little bit of outside uh, outside of dentistry with uh, regards to the dancing uh on the live i heard uh everyone was asking uh to for you to show your biceps and whatnot uh what what's what's life outside of dentistry like for fadi by the way when so, you were by the when you were mentioning that you want to do uh courses in the future i can just Picture you, uh, picture you ro rolling up to the podium and everyone just chanting "Fadi." Fa. <laughs> I can that'd be nice. <laughs> that would be, be awesome if that happened. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, for me, outside dentistry, I mean, uh, you know, dancing. I think the last time I actually did dance, um, and you brought up the dancing thing. So I got into the dancing, uh, and I was mentioning this earlier. Is during residency, one of my patients. Um, apparently happened to be a judge at a dancing competition and she put up my name um and this dancing competition was its goal was to raise money for children who have you know autism and it was a kind of a, like a foundation um for that so for you know uh so it was a really it was something really wonderful with the children it was like in collaboration with the children's hospital at, at vcu um so i know she ends up putting my name and uh and so she's like, are you interested in doing this? Like, sign me up, I guess, because I've never danced before. So let's just give it a shot. So I go in, there's eight other competitors, of course. And you're doing this for one night only. That's the thing. Like, there's not a lot of other nights, just one night competition. And and they they part they kind of partner you with a, with a professional dancer and you take dancing classes with them about eight of them so the dancing um, with the stars pretty much pretty much exactly <laughs> so um however i don't know how weird the stars are, but they're, they're the they're the stars the dancers not us yeah. so you know they pick different people from whether a lawyer real estate um uh, you know medical doctor just depends whoever's in the area so i guess they pick and choose specific people for it and uh so I end up, they end up for me because I'm like six one and built. So I was like, yeah, you're doing a waltz. I was like, okay, I don't know what a waltz is, but let's go ahead and do it. So they part me up with this incredible instructor, and she was just amazing in every way. Um, 
and uh, she taught me doing the waltz, you know, and uh, by the end of that competition, I ended up winning the competition and we raised about $96,000 for the wow. Virginia Indian Center for Children. Um, so it was amazing. It was a once in a lifetime experience. Uh, and fortunately, I have not waltzed since then. So I'm, I'm kind of rusty now, five years yeah. rusty. Waltz, that's but, and that's amazing because was, as Iraqis, uh, where when we dance, it's emotion. It's it's complete opposite of waltz. <laughs> it's yeah, definitely not not our strongest uh, suit. I would say uh, no. dancing, especially and doing a waltz. Yeah, that's not <laughs> at all. Um, but it was fun. It was a it was a great experience. Um, other things I do, like for me outside dentistry, you know, for me, I'm my schedule, I have a very routine schedule. So I wake up at 4.15, 4 a.m. in the morning. Um, I, hit the, I hit the gym, my gym, I convert my own garage into a gym. So that way I, I have no excuse not to work out. Um, and I've been very diligent about that since residency. Um, you know, I always go once it opens up at 6 a.m. in the morning. Uh, so just kind of kept that same mentality. So uh, I'm usually in bed by 9:30, 10 maximum. I'm out. Um, so you know that's how I've been. That's how my life has been uh, for the last five years. Um, so yeah, I mean besides perio and family and working out, that's pretty much it. You know, I, and I work six days a week, so I only have my Sundays time. off. And yeah. so you know, Sundays when I'm off, it's usually doing a lot of errands at the house. Like, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that. You know, take the kids here, do this. I was like okay i was hoping i would rest for the one day that i have and there's no such thing as resting so you're always working all the time yeah but this is that's been the one bright spot about covid i guess it's just time to actually chill out and uh i don't know it's oh, yeah. not completely chilling out but um it's a different form of uh of work relaxation in a way yeah exactly uh so tell me i actually want to know more about your home gym because i've just started mine as well um I got, I got my gym from amazon and it's called the the i think it's called the what is it called uh, i mean i can go outside and check in two seconds because it's right yeah. here um, I can, it's like a it's a, i think i bought it for like a thousand dollars and i did like monthly payments for it over five months but it's great like i can do squats i can do um bench press flies everything you can possibly imagine rows with it so it's been the best investment that I've had. I had a very old crappy one that I used to have for like own for eight, nine years. So I just upgraded to this one finally, like yeah. maybe literally maybe two, three months ago. Um, it's starting in, yeah, three, maybe like around February, like literally a month before the whole COVID perfect. situation. So, yeah, perfect so it was timing. perfect timing. <laughs> yeah, I think we had perfect timing. Um, and uh, so I've been loving it, you know, kind of working out like you know just i have everything i want all, all the weights that i need so it's been fun i have my peloton bike as well i oh, got nice. a treadmill so it's kind of i converted the whole thing so you know so i have no excuse not to work out and sometimes if i like it too much i'll just go twice a day it's cool exactly. it's, I, it's right there i just can go downstairs and it's right there for me it's true and especially with anymore. yeah with all the COVID stuff too i think uh like it's just a lot safer even if gyms do open up eventually it just exactly uh, having your own i don't think i paid for a gym membership in over (laughs) 10 years which is great that's awesome i want i'm gonna i'm gonna get you to show me the i'm gonna take a picture i'm gonna take a picture and send it to you exactly it's it's pretty neat neat. what what do you do in the winter is it cold that's one that's one issue oh yeah 
Oh yeah, and, and uh, I mean, uh, the garage is really cold. When I say cold, it's like thirty-eight degrees cold. Um, you know, uh, that's Fahrenheit, so that's close to be like four or five Celsius. Uh, and at four fifteen, four thirty in the morning, yeah, I'm wearing a sweater, and and I'm, I'm and I have a small space, like a small heater, electric heater, out of, like in the garage, and I usually turn on the night before. So by the time I get there in the morning, it's like maybe fifty-eight or sixty degrees at its best. Um, yeah, so I definitely need to like maybe kind of put some padding around the garage door because it's a pretty old one. So I need to. I was looking at this like, yeah, that needs a lot of tune-ups. So yeah. I think that's my next project on a weekend is gonna tune it up, kind of change all the paddings on it, and make it kind of more, uh, I think, uh, weather-resistant in a way. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely excited to see that uh, setup. That's the issue. The one issue I think is um, the winter, but I think I'll probably move everything in the basement once. Uh, once the winter yeah hits. the basement is amazing oh, that'd be awesome i mean I, I we could i'd love to use this this is our basement but i mean the problem is it has its own small separate bedroom so uh i can't use that fortunately so i i got booted to the gym yeah. i got booted to the garage at that yeah. point in time yeah you got kicked out um awesome uh so i wanted to set a bit of time aside and uh let fadi talk about his background story um, first out, uh, shout out to Dr. Dean Linsenblatt, I think. Is that correct? How I said his last I think yeah, Linsenblatt, yes. Linsenblatt. Uh, for his Instagram live session, uh, his sessions are called Dr. Dean's Office, and, and they're really great. Um, that, but that's where I heard your story. And I think it was one of the first times you actually talked about this publicly, I think you were saying. Uh, and quite honestly, I've heard a lot of inspirational stories. Uh, you watch Hollywood movies and... I mean, as Iraqis, we're, we've unfortunately become accustomed to hearing about car bombs and kidnappings and, and various hardships, but uh, I don't think I've heard anything as inspiring uh, as your story and the resilience and perseverance that you had. Uh, so one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the show is because with the ongoing pandemic, I know a lot of people are feeling down and I think your story can provide quite a bit of inspiration for anyone out there facing adversity. Uh, I also want people to know uh, that success doesn't come easily. And, and we see that on social media, we think everything just comes so easy to some people, but um, you have to have that drive and, and you definitely show that. And literally it seems like nothing stops you. Even, even if there's a dance competition, you're, you're always number one. <laughs> so um, yeah, uh, I guess take us back. I, I guess it started back in Iraq. So I guess we'll start from there. Yeah, so um, I know that we, um, I mentioned this um, at the live IG session, uh, maybe it was about two weeks ago. And um, so, I mean, when I was in Iraq, again, I did my dental school from 2002 to 2007. Um, and this was like, maybe like a few months before the war started in 2003. Um, so, you know, kind of around at the end of our first year is when the war happened. So. I think most of the Iraqis at that time, especially the, at least the dental students, uh, my classmates, were kind of like in limbo. Are, is, is there going to be school? Are we still seeing patients? Are, what's the education status going to be in the next, you know, four or five years to come? So it was incredibly challenging because a lot of our incredible faculty that we had, you know, they started kind of either leaving the country um, and every year we'd see more faculty there going and going. A lot of them, you know, some of them got kidnapped. Some of them got killed actually uh, in the process. Um, 
by the time I reached my senior year of dental school, um, you know, our the location of our dental school was pretty much not the I'd say the most best location. Um, you know, there's still a lot of insurgency Al Qaeda in that area. Um, and you, I literally every day around 12 noon to like two, three o'clock in the afternoon, our parking lot would turn into a war zone and you would mm -hmm. see bullets flying right and left. And it was just, it was ridiculous. Like, like you know, you can go out because you don't know if it might do so. Um, you would stay in the, would stay indoors. And the way the, the school was set up back home is that you have your, you know, your educational building and then you have the 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 clinics which and you had to walk and that walking is literally in front of the parking lot so if you would walking from here to here from point a to point b you definitely see everything that's happening in front of you um so i mean it was like that it was like that for a full year um until it got to a point where um the ministry of education um or higher education uh, at that point in time is they decided to just let's just close the school because um, it's just too dangerous for the students i mean we had faculty not showing up we had um patients refusing to come it's like i'm not going to that area it's a war zone so are you crazy i'm not i don't want to get killed and most of our experience as dental students we got at our four, fourth and fifth year of dental school back home um that was like that for us so, um, and, and for me, and I mentioned this as well as that, but I had two, I had two classmates got kidnapped, um, um, and you know, they got tortured as well. Um, I, one classmate got killed as well. So, I mean, because of the whole insurgency thing, um, and I, sometimes I would drive to school and literally you'd see a, a car bomb explode right in front of you and what you do is you turn around pretty much and find another way to go to school you know so it's just that I and mean, you'd see these things on daily basis you go to school and you see dead bodies on the street someone got most likely got kidnapped tortured and their bodies thrown out on the street um and it was like that so i think for us a lot of our a lot of us just got desensitized you know mm -hmm. and um, I, I think i mentioned this as well as that you know you hear the first big bomb explosion and you heard like 20 30 or 50 people got killed and it was like oh my god is this happening is this real and then happens the next day and the next day and not, now it's not just one but now there's four or five that are happening a day and you just pray that it's not one of your family members it's praying that you're one of your cousins or one of your friends and there's just so many victims that got lost in that um and in in those you know those uh, explosions that happened from insurgency and all those things so, um, you know, you know, and we, we were able to get it through. I have no idea, honestly, how, but in fact, a lot of faculty were able to stay there and teach us. We, a lot of our students were actually at that point, I think we dropped down to half almost by the time I was in my senior year and mm -hmm. from my class, because a lot of them just left the country. They went through neighboring countries, whether it's Jordan, Egypt, um, you know, or Emirates. So just, they just left because their parents were too afraid for them to stay in Iraq at that time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Baghdad was a war zone. I mean, it was the worst place to be at was Baghdad itself. It, it had the highest level of insurgency than anywhere else because, uh, you know, everyone would come to Baghdad, do their crap, and then they would leave. Indeed, yeah. um, so it was like that all the time. Um, and by the time I was in my senior year, um, 
dental school, um, you know, my father got a government position, and which is very high ranking at that time. So, which means that he had to have bodyguards taking him back and forth, and a huge convoy, you know. And when I say bodyguards, I mean at least about close 40, 50, maybe up to 80 bodyguards mm. that he would have, and a convoy of 12 to 15 vehicles. It was just like that. So, and for me, uh, as a dental student. I cannot go just drive my car again anymore. I had to yeah. have my own from for my protection. And this was my senior year. So I was like, do you drop everything as a senior dental student? Uh, and, you know, you've been through hell. You've seen a lot of stuff. You got one more year. Do you drop everything and move to another country and start all over again? Back, like, since you're like a first year dental student and possibly go through undergrad if you're going to another different foreign country. Mm-hmm. So... I was like, you know, it's a senior. Let me just kind of hopefully we can work it through. And uh, and again, so we, so I mean, every, we were amazingly we were able to do that um, up to like maybe two months before graduation. Um, and again, at that time, I had like 18 bodyguards. I had five vehicles. Two of them were armored vehicles, you know. Um, and that's how we used to go come back to school. And I I, I tried to, I never let the bodyguards get into the school because I think it just made the students feel uncomfortable. So they would always stand outside guard uh, just to be safe. Um, So it was on April 24th um, and, you know, I came in early, same time that morning. And what was interesting that day was the, the security at the front for the school, no one was there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the interesting fact. There's always three or four. They yeah. Check your ID before they let you in. That day, there was no one there at the time that I reached. It was kind of odd, but yeah. again, we didn't suspect anything. Um, so I go to my locker, and my one of my best friends was there with me. And, um, you know, and I had a patient at, I think, around 8.30, 9 o'clock for a complete denture. We're supposed to kind of, you know, take wax try-ins and all that stuff to deliver a complete denture for him. And my friend, he was incredible in pros. He was so smart, so talented. Um, and that was his goal. He wanted to be a prosthodontist. And, again, incredible guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, his name was Hassan. Um, um Hassan Nazar Moscone, um, and he was also from Baghdad, and, and we've been through a middle school, high school, you know, dental school now five years, so I've known him for a very, very long time, been to his house, you know, uh, studied together, all those things, and we've done, you know, so just like a very good close friend of mine, and yeah. uh, like a brother, honestly. Mm-hmm. So um, I go to my locker and he's there with me walking together. And um, the moment I opened my locker, um, it exploded pretty much. Um, and mm. you know, there was a bomb that was planted underneath my locker. And um, you know, the huge sound, a lot of there's just a lot of dust everywhere. Um, and you know, I'm on the floor. Hassan's on the floor at this point in time. I think it took it took me maybe a few, a, a couple of minutes or maybe seconds. I'm not sure. And I open my eyes and I wake up and you know I sit up. I sit myself up, and uh, I see Hassan literally right next to me, and he's barely moving his head. Um, I don't see any blood from him. Just sees dust. Literally, a lot of dust on him. Um, and I look down at myself, and I see literally my left foot is pretty much gone at this point in time. Um, 
man, there's just a lot of blood everywhere. Um, one of my toes, uh, like I mentioned, was just kind of dangling by a piece of skin at this point. Um, so, you know, I get myself up, I'm on one foot and uh, I'm jumping out, um, trying to, and I'm just telling the students, get out, get out, get out, you know, in, in Arabic. And so I do that. And by the time I reach to the front gate of the school, the bodyguards see me and they thought the explosion was in the medical school because we're like literally next door to each other. Mm -hmm. And my sister, she's a med student, uh, um, and you're like you're a fourth year med student at that time. Um, so they go rush to her because they think that's where the explosion came from. And where my locker is positioned is very close to that wall, you know, neighboring the medical school. Yeah. Uh, so again, the bodyguards pick me up, they put me in the car, and the moment we get into the side road, another bomb explodes on another roadside bomb explodes under my car, and just literally, wow. I, I remember the back of my car literally just flying up and then just bounces back again on the floor. Um, and then within a matter of seconds, um, a sniper window starts, a sniper starts shooting at the back window where my head is. And you can see the two bullets on the car, on the window where my head was. So uh, the bodyguards, they were able to take me to the, to the medical um, hospital uh, for, the meds, for the medical school, uh, which is right next door. Um, and one of the, I guess, one of the rookie doctors who just graduated med school, um, he sees my foot and he knows, and he draws a line and it's like, yep, we need to cut it right now, amputate it. And literally one of my bodyguards, he goes, it's like, if you cut one thing out of him, I'm going to shoot you right there on the spot. It was just yeah. like that. I mean, they're responsible for my safety at that point in time. Yeah. Um, and uh, so... They take me to another specialty hospital, um, still within that area. And, uh, you know, one of the orthopedic surgeons comes in and he sees me and he says, no, you have your big toe left. Um, so it's, it looks like if you, if you can still save that, you'll be able to walk again um, without, you know, without any amputation or anything like that. Um, at this point, you know, I don't know how much I've lost of my foot at this point in time. Again, I'm still in that shock phase, um, yeah. you know, slightly, a little bit on the delirious side, maybe. Um, <clears throat> so my father at that point in time, he had, um, he was, had an envoy that was going to Europe and um, to meet with other ministers um, of electricity. That was his position at that time. And um, they literally give him a call while he's on the plane, mm. and they say, um, "Dr. Hassan, I'd just like to know, let you know, but you know, there was a small incident. Um, Fadi got slightly injured, um, and just a little bit of scratches. He might lost a toe. That's all they told him. And he's on the plane, about to leave. And and then he, he had to, he was on. I mean, that point in the time, the the flight was already the plane was already moving, so he on the came way, in. Yeah. Yeah, you can't go back. Mm -hmm. He's already in Jordan already, so he's going to take an international flight. Um, but he was able to do it was call um, the American ambassador in Iraq at that time and allow them to get me into the green zone to their field hospital inside the green zone itself. Um, so, you know, going that trip from the medical hospital and where that where the medical school is 
to the green zone was the most interesting trip in the world. I have to say I was in an ambulance and the biggest convoy you can possibly imagine. Um, I felt like a VIP, but half delirious VIP, I would say. I was you know, still 23 years old, so I had no idea what the hell was going on. Yeah. Um, you know, and my mom calls me on the way and she's, you know, frantic, crying. She sees it on the news that the bomb exploded down school. And it was on the news within minutes, literally. Um, and at that point in time, I had just started dating my wife. So I was in Iraq. She was still in the States, you know. So we had met maybe once before during the Christmas break, like maybe three months before this all happened. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, so my mom calls me and uh, she says, what happened? Are you okay? And she's crying. She's sobbing. You know, and you know Iraqi moms, they're, they, they're everywhere and their emotions are everywhere. I was like, no, mom, don't worry. I'm fine. I'll see you soon. I'm doing this with the calmest voice in the world. Wow. I have no idea how I, I was able to be so calm and aloof, as they would say. It was like yeah. an ice ice cubicle. So I calmed her down. I was like, mom, don't worry. I'm fine. It's just something very small. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to see you soon. And mind you, this is a guy who's in an ambulance with, a, with an amputated foot, and I'm just looking at it, and just with wow. a stupid bandage on it, and I'm just talking so calmly. Uh, and then at that point in time, my, you know, my wife, um, you know, was again, still in dating at that point in time, because I've only seen her once. <laughs> so she calls me from the States and I'm talking to her. It's like, yeah, don't worry, Habibi, I'm fine as well. And I calm her down as well, all the way while I'm going, this is like a, maybe a 30 minute trip. That's all wow. it is. Um, so get into the green zone. I'm in the hospital for about almost about seven to seven to eight days, I would say. Um, I had three big surgeries there. I, they took about close to forty shrapnels from my foot and my and on my leg as well. Um, and they took they, they took a big skin graft from my right thigh and tried to close my left thigh. Now again, this is a combat hospital. It's a field. It's a combat field. So the patients don't stay that long. They're in mm -hmm. and out. So literally 24 hours later, after my big skin graft to cover the rest of my foot, 24 hours after that, I was discharged of the hospital. Now, mm -hmm. for us to do skin, well, for us to do gingival <laughs> graft, let's say I'm going to compare like that. Yeah. You need to have a very stable bed. Of course. You know that should not be moving. In cases of a when you have a peripheral limb like that, like a limb, especially like a foot, your foot needs to be up in the air for two weeks. You yeah. cannot be on the floor 24 hours later. They ask you to walk on it. That's exactly wow. what they do. It's like you have to walk on it. I was like, so I have no idea. I was on like on crutches and trying to walk. I was like, yep, you're good. You can get discharged tomorrow. I was like, I'm like, what the hell? I was wow. like, I'm still in a lot of pain. I was on morphine for like a whole week and I was like pumping morphine like with a click button and telling you that shit works but it's the worst once you get it out of your get system of yeah and i think i think you heard me say like it, there's a lot of hallucination that comes with that drug when you're out of it um so for a whole week i was um you know at home now at this point in time and my body's just kind of um, all the weirdest hallucinations i would see every time i every time i try to go to bed um you know so at this point there's no pain but there's a weird smell coming from from my foot i thought it was just the medications getting coming out of my system i'm sweating it out whatever that was my thinking process at that time not the smartest maybe thinking process uh, but you know it just wasn't what something was wrong yeah so uh, my 
at this time, you know, my dad is back, of course, on this trip, and he was only for there for like two or three days. Um, and, uh, you know, he calls our, a, a family surgeon who's, who's seen combat surgeries. You know, he was one of the plastic surgeons during the Iraq-Iran wars in the 80s. So he's seen a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and he opens the bandage, bandages and all that's so, like, yeah, that graft has failed and it's pretty much necrotic and wow. if you don't believe it, it's, um, you know, very, very much you're going to lose your foot. It's going to eat away. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to eat it away. And the, the area where they did the harvest from, from my right thigh, the sutures opened up completely. So I can see my flesh all the way through at this point wow. and there's there's no pain um amazingly there's no pain but i can see everything there everything's you know yellow and pink and white all the stuff that i should not be seeing and i'm looking at it you know every day mm -hmm. um so he uh he tells my parents he tells my parents like you know can at least we get him into into my hospital or as an alias is it under a different name at least we need to take care of this and my father just says hell no I almost lost my son three times. He's not going anywhere. If there's anything you need to do, you have to do it in the house. So he says, well, do you guys have a scissor and some alcohol? So he, we get him some alcohol and he wipes the scissors down. And on there on the spot, he's cutting through the skin of all that. Oh, wow. And I'm awake doing this. And I don't wish it for anyone, but if there's something that is excruciating pain when someone's cutting through your skin and you're fully awake I have no idea I was able to stay awake the entire time not passing out and he did that every day for the next seven days um, I believe and, that wow and for me um, and I know I mentioned this as well is that you know, I used to click my fingers um, so the, the more pain that I had the, the louder the click that it was um and my sister again she's a med student so she would be there assisting him so he would and, you know and the following days he would, he came in with his sterile surgical kit but there's no anesthesia i'm home mm -hmm. uh, you know I'm, he's doing this while i'm fully awake because um you know he's not gonna sedate me or anything like that um while i'm you know in, in a house you know without an anesthesiologist so I mean, he did that for almost a full week, and you slowly started seeing the tissue getting more pink. You know, so there's some there. It's coming back alive again yeah. as he's kind of digging through it, and it's like literally excavating. Like a, you know, you get an ice cream and you're scooping it out. That's exactly what he was doing. Mm -hmm. um, and he did that for a whole week. Uh, and now I think this was close to now my 23rd birthday because this was like this happened all 10 days before my 23rd birthday. So it was nice that my dental classmates, they came over, they brought a cake, we celebrated it. And I think that was the last time I, I saw a lot of them for the last time that day, because about a week later is when um, I, I went to Jordan and, mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I got um, had the, my remaining surgeries um, done there and I had three more surgeries. Uh, where they, they found a lot of still, um, there were still shrapnels apparently that was not taken out. Um, I had a lot of infection going on that that your standard antibiotics was not working. Um, everything was showing being resistant. Mm -hmm. um, 
So they put me on some weird cocktail that would make me sick to my stomach every time I would get it. Um, and I had another skin graft that was harvested also from my right thigh to correct the first skin graft that was that was a, a failure and also to correct um, the first harvest site where the pretty much the sutures opened up. So um, that was done twice pretty much at that point in time. Um, you know, I was in the hospital of almost a month in Jordan and I got discharged literally a week before my finals back in, in Iraq. Um, and what I would do is uh, my friends, they used to scan the lectures and they would email it. And my parents, my mom, was, she, she was with me in Jordan. She used to print it out for me. And I used to literally study before and after the surgeries, um, after I, you know, wake up from them. That's incredible. Um, and, and we did, you know, we had to do hyperbaric oxygen therapy. So, you know, you go inside a glass tube and, you know, I would have the technician guys like, hey, can you please just, you know, next page, next page. So that's how I used to study for the, for my, for my, for my lectures at that time. Um, so I ended up doing my finals at the, um, the cultural attache um, in Jordan and they brought, they flew one of the, um, um, instructors from Iraq and um, you know he would administer the test for me in there um, at the same time um, that we had in Iraq so um, in Baghdad and just you know finished I was able to finish all my finals um, at that time and you know I was in the graduation so I I never had a chance to like throw my cap or walk the stage or anything like that um, they can actually photoshop my picture into the into the picture um, that's what my friends. That's what my friends are able to do. That's so I was, like, I, was, I was like, and they sent me, and they sent me, they sent me the pictures. It was nice of them, honestly. At least they yeah. could, they can do it for me. Um, so the first time for me, uh, um, yeah, you know, doing a graduation, walking and actually getting quoted was in Colorado when I arrived in my dental school um, again. Um, so I guess, you know, for for me at that time, and it's been going on since is. And you know, I, I'm a really true believer that um, you know when they say what doesn't kill you make you stronger. I am a true believer of that. Um, and they told me, listen, you can't walk for six months. I walked in six weeks. They told me you can never play sports again. I played basketball literally maybe six for three to four months later, and I used to play basketball mm -hmm. all the time, you know. Um, and I just push myself. Anytime people tell me that, hey, listen, you can't do this, it's impossible. I really like to prove them that I can do this that nothing is impossible um no matter how hard the situation is how much pain you have and i still have pain you know this is now going on for pretty much 13 years now um it's still i still have phantom pain i still sometimes you know at night i wake up i feel my toes like someone's just jabbing me with something sharp or someone just hit my foot with a hammer you know that's the sensation that i get from uh from the phantom pain um but you know what it's it's for me it's kind of like a something like kind of like a motivation in a way um you know it pushes me that you know to work harder um it's like a fire inside me that i just i feel like um there's a no second chance at life there's, yeah there's like there's no reason to get, exactly there's no reason to give up you know i this yeah. is my second opportunity to live and mm -hmm. I need to make the best out of it you know um, and something like I always like to think about myself like you know there's two ways you can take this 
you can either go into that completely depressed mode into maybe narcotics and drugs and feeling shit about yourself because this happened to you mm-hmm. or you can look at the other side to it. It's like, screw this. This is not going to beat me down. I am going to get up out of this and I'm going to do really well. And that's the path that I just decided to, ch- to, do, to take for myself. And I made that decision um, Rookie was at the hospital, um, and I think this was—I think I mentioned this was after my last surgery, and I was in so much excruciating pain because they did the uh, second skin graft, and I think I was told that was a, maybe the last time that I literally broke down in tears. Um, there were, you know, and I, my mom was in the hospital room with me, and I was just like, "Why did this happen to me? You know, yeah. what did I do? What did I do to deserve it? You know, and." Um, and I just literally broke down to tears, and I went, and, and she's there with me, you know, it's like, it's okay, it'll be fine, um, you know, that's how life is, and um, and I think I just wiped my tears, and I, and I started thinking about it, this is the part where, you know, you have a thinking brain, you have an emotional part of, of your brain, and I just part that where my thinking brain is like, this is not going to overcome me, I'm going to do this, I'm going to make the best out of it, screw all emotions aside at that point in time, this is what I'm, this is my path from now on. Mm-hmm. So I just decided to be a lot more focused, more determined, um, and just pushing myself harder and harder every single time. And, um, you know, it, and that's been kind of my motivation since then. You know, I, uh, you know, try and be on top of my game, uh, push myself harder, um, never giving up. And that's the key. You know, we all go through very difficult situations in our lifetime and um we all have our own stories to tell and different different circumstances the question is how do we get out of it you know what kind of mentality are we getting out of it and again i just i just chose the path for myself not to be in, in that lonely depressed mentality but more than an optimistic that this is a, a a second opportunity for me to live and i did the best out of it i you know i finished dental school i, I was able to get into dental school at colorado at a very young age literally the young international dental student you know i worked hard for my um getting to residency as well and you know, i looking at myself where i am today you know yes i'm 35 years old 36 years old but you know i have a lifetime ahead of me i have so much i can do i believe in myself that i can really achieve that um and that's just kind of the mentality that i've set for myself you know and i think it's you know if i can do it then anyone else can do it you know what i'm not so different than anyone else um, there's people who've been through a lot worse. I'm 100% confident of that, and they've turned their lives literally upside down 100 in a, in a much better, positive way. So, um, you know, we all inspire each other. We all want the best for each other. Um, so it just depends on how we do it, you know. And if, hopefully, sharing this story is it's going to help a lot of the folks out there and just kind of show them that, you know, that we can all do this. Um, and with support, help with friends, with family, uh, with us, um, it, you can definitely get there. You know, you can definitely, yeah. definitely get there. It's, it's incredible. Like, uh, even just hearing it, like, the second time, uh, still speechless. Um, you're just, the first time I kind of talked to you and stuff, and, and I'm sure people that meet you for the first time, obviously, they don't know the background story. And, and uh, you don't ever show it. And you're such a humble person, even though... Uh, you've accomplished so much and uh as a, a fellow human being and a fellow Iraqi you just I was telling you earlier you kind of I don't know when you when you f- first talked it just felt like you were a brother to me so 
Um, I appreciate well, the, the, the feeling is mutual. And I, we had this discussion before we started, you know, I mean, I, I, it's for me, seeing my colleagues, my friends, and maybe from people from my own hometown, you know, from Baghdad, from Iraq as well, it's just seeing them succeed, you know, and despite all the adversities that they've seen in their lives and from, you know, kidnapping to people getting killed to bomb explosions and seeing where they, you know, what they've achieved today, it just makes me feel so humble, so proud of them, you know, and... Uh, you know the way I see we all of us here live this life once I like to think that we can really make the best out of it and really and this will sound cliche maybe for a lot of people but you know helping each other is the, literally the best thing that we can do um, you know and that, that, that's how we as humans I guess you know um, evolve in a way like by you know just kind of you know, surpassing all the certain the difficult circumstances and being for one another. You know, so it, it might be small for some people, it might be big for other people. But you know, it's that gesture that that you, you know people do care, and um, you know that we're here for for each other. You know, we're all human beings at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, I don't care whether you're white or brown or black or you're whatever uh, religion you're from. And I and I mentioned this as well. You know. I go every year, I'm a Muslim, but I go every year to a church and I light a candle for my friend Hassan as an mm -hmm. honor to him because I'm 100% sure if I was a person that was six feet under and he would be alive today, I'm pretty confident he would do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's an honor to him that I'm alive today and I always like to think what would he, what would he have achieved if he was still alive. I have no doubt he would have reached the stars because he is so brilliant in so many ways. Um, and I'm sure God knows what the future would have been for him, you know, if, if he was alive today to tell his side of the story of it. Um, and a lot of what I do is honestly is just uh, for him, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, so that's the, le it's the least I can do. You know, I wish I, I wish I could do more. I, you know, hopefully I will do more in the future. You know, so it's just one step at a time. You know. Yeah. Now, obviously, I'm so sorry about your friend. Obviously, that's that's a, a huge, devastating thing to happen at such a young age, um, and seeing her in front of your eyes. But if, if I guess if you can take out, we can take something at least away from it is, I appreciate how I appreciate your mindset and and how you look at similarities rather than differences. Um, like we're we're all a human race doesn't matter exactly. the ethnicity the the religion and unfortunately that's what's plagued a lot of the world and what's held us back from progressing is fighting over various religions and, and just being of diff exactly. different uh, skin color or whatever it may be and so that's truly remarkable I think we should just be more open to accepting everyone just as, as a human again thank you again for sharing that story I think with these tough times uh, I know it's it's nothing compared to what you're uh, facing what you face sorry but uh i think people will definitely get something out of this um and i i know it's probably quite tough for you to to say the story and and share it with people but i really appreciate it really really appreciate it because i think it'll definitely inspire people and it'll show them that you can you too can fight through adversity whatever it may be in whatever form it may be we all face it different from one way or another we, we face it but thank you again i really really appreciate that, that you shared that with us i'm i'm speechless again like 
second second time i've heard this and i salute you uh you inspire us uh not, not at all i mean i mean just uh i guess we're all born in different parts of the world you know so yeah. Yeah, you know, you don't choose that. Uh, none of us chooses that, honestly. And, um, you know, some of us might be lucky enough to, you know, have a very different lifestyle. They've never seen any of this. And that's that's amazing for them. But some, not all people are like that. So just... Um, and we're still better life. off than I mean, a lot of people uh, as well. Exactly. I mean, that's, just, that's just life. So, I mean, yeah. um, you take the good, the bad, the ugly with it. And it just depends on how, how, how you plan on setting yourself for it. I mean, and, um, you know, moving forward with it. So mm -hmm. uh, I think the sky's the limit for all of us. That's how I really believe that we have so much to give back and so much to achieve, you know, personally and maybe not, not even to non-personally as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, just that's, Again, that's just my thinking process about it. I guess it's just uh, I feel I feel I really feel that uh, there's so much we can do, you know. And um, it, it might take baby steps. It might take years. It might take months. Uh, uh, but I think we can all get there, you know, if we if we really seriously help each other with it. Um, no matter how small it is, I think we can get there for sure. That's amazing. Thank you again. So I guess to end it off, we'll, we'll end off on a light note and kind of switch it up. We'll do a, a rapid fire question period. I know, sure. I know the answer to this first question. Uh, what's, what's your favorite food? All right, go. I think I know the answer. Uh, um, I know last time he was like, I, 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 lo I love uh, Middle Eastern. So I love my kebabs and shish tawooks. Um, that'd be my number one choice. So much yeah. um, the simich mezguf, which is, uh, you know, they're exactly the that's Iraqi fish that's grilled on on steaks. I'm pretty good on steak, yeah. Um, so other thing would be, I love sushi. I really love sushi, you know, so... Uh, that's my second thing. Uh, for me, su Sunday is my sushi day, so I love to eat Sunday su sushi. sushi on Sundays usually. <laughs> I like my it. Yeah. Sunday is a sushi day. Um, favorite procedure? I think we kind of went over this, but what's what's your favorite? I love gum grafts, man. I can I can literally do that all day long. My second option would be an immediate implants on the on the aesthetic zones because I do all my provisionals chair side. And I get to just okay. play and sculpt my provisional, and I I get to see the follow-ups up to six months, and and when I take it out and I see that emergence profile, I'm gonna put this. It's like sex on the beach for for perio. It's a, it's, a, it's a it's a it's our way of dental porn. Don't get that I mean. So yeah. that's just a, we love it. All of us kind of just water when we see yeah. that, or when we take that provisional. It's like yeah, that's gonna look nice. Uh, You're a proud father at that point. Uh, exactly. So at that point, we love, <laughs> love that. So yeah, that's my second favorite procedure after soft tissue grafting. Awesome. Uh, what dental procedure do you miss? So if you, if you weren't in Imperio, what's well, you are in Imperio, sorry, but uh, what's something that you miss? What I miss is root canals because my second option after Imperio was going to be an endodontist, and I literally had my endo application ready to be sent out. So I had Imperio and endo. Wow. <laughs> I was between the two. I was like. Um, I invested too much time in Perry. I'm just going to go to Perry, and I literally took my all my letters of recommendation from Indo just threw in the garbage. So, so, <laughs> so that that I, must have been tough. So yeah, but I mean, I just I don't I think I just can see myself looking at a root canal all day every day for the rest of my life. I think it would for me it might have been maybe just too boring for me. And I have a lot of Indo yeah. friends, Indo brothers. I like to call them my colleagues. 
they love and breathe endo. I love and breathe perio. You know, so we all have our passion, and that pairs is my passion, honestly. Yeah. Uh, favorite sports team? Um, I don't watch soccer, so don't get me wrong. For I'm maybe the only Iraqi that does not watch soccer. Uh, which is yeah. really weird. You're all about doing that. Uh, which, That's is, illegal. which is really weird. Yeah, I've been <laughs> basketball for a long time um, since middle school and high school. Uh, my friends used to find him like if if they if they lost Fadi, they find him in the in the basketball court. So, um, you know, I, for me, favorite team. I think as growing up, it's always been the Bulls because of Michael Jordan. Now, um, you know, it's, I, I've been I've been a little bit out of touch okay. with basketball recently, but it's still my favorite sport. I yeah. mean, that's always going to be my favorite sport. Um, I don't understand American football. I don't think I'll ever understand American football. Um, um, I've been to maybe one baseball game in my entire life, so and I don't think I'll ever go again. <laughs> um, but that's yeah. So, but if I have a chance, it'd be basketball all awesome. day, every day. Awesome. Uh, finally, dream car. Do you have a dream car or anything like that? A dream car. Oh, I love. I, if I had a dream car, I'd love to get the Nissan GTR. Okay. Well, we'll make yeah. that happen. It's, it's gonna happen. That car is just—it's <laughs> a beauty. The technology in that car uh, is just incredible. So that, I think that would be I like a Japanese car. Yeah, <laughs> it's just gonna that's... go that way. Yeah. Uh, but I love a Nissan GTR. I'm not each other the Ferraris or Lamborghinis. None of this. No, like that it, Godzilla. You're happy Nissan with a GTR. Godzilla. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're happy with a GTR. You're uh, you're content. I would guy. be. I would be extremely happy with a Nissan GTR. I would I be extremely. It. I had that one. So maybe in the future, um, that'd be one I'd love to have. My brother owns a dealership, so maybe uh, come down to Canada. We'll we'll hook you up. There you go. There you go. <laughs> the family friend special. Very <laughs> exactly yeah. professional discount. <laughs> That's amazing, Fadi. Thank you so much uh, for joining. Thank me. you, Happy for the invitation. It was awesome. I think people are gonna absolutely love this. So thanks again. Thank you again. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get this sent out as soon as possible. Sure, and hopefully we'll have a chance to meet soon as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Mastering Dentistry series on the Newbie Dentist Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and follow us. All relevant links are in the podcast description. See you next time.